Hello world, it's the Ladies of Nerditude. My name's Francine. I'm Jill. And today we are going to be very excitingly recapping my weekend at Wizard World Sacramento. I'm excited. It was so fun. It looked fun. I It was a crazy weekend. I was only there on Saturday and Sunday, so I missed all the shenanigans on Friday. There was karaoke on Friday night. I missed all we of that. We always miss karaoke. I know. We're just not meant to be at karaoke, I guess. Um, but I did. I was there for the full day on Saturday and Sunday. And it was awesome. I'm excited to hear about it. Was I fun. wasn't able to make it. It was Father's Day, and I was like, you know, I should probably go see my dad because he lives close by. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to be there, but... Francine was texting me and I was like, oh, I've made a mistake. But I mean, not that I regret going home, but looks pretty fucking cool. I say it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Um, so I'm trying to think of like the best way to not be the only person talking for like the next however long, because uh, that'll be really boring for everybody. Do you what, what do you how do you feel like I should relay my experience? <laughs> well, so much to say. We purposefully didn't really talk about it a whole lot since you got back because otherwise we would just be like rehashing. Mm -hmm. And so um, what was the first thing that you went and did when you were there? So the first thing that I did when we got there on Saturday, I kind of snuck into the end of the Wonder Woman DC Extended Universe podcast taping. Um, they had like audience participation and stuff and actually Wonder Woman ended up being quite a recurring theme over the course of the weekend. Shocking. Not surprisingly. There was a lot of cosplay. There were a lot of, it came up in a lot of panels and um, they were talking about it really positively. So everybody really loved it. And when I got into the room, I was actually waiting for the next panel to start. That was like the first panel that I was going to go to. So I kind of snuck in a little bit early. And they were talking about how Wonder Woman was really true to the comics, kind of like what Kalani was saying when right. we had her on, and how she doesn't hesitate to kill if it's necessary, and how that makes her like a very strong character and a very strong female character. So they were very excited. Um, those guys were actually they they were really cool. I I got a chance to like kind of meet them in passing, mm-hmm. um, and they were very very nice. So I gave them our card. Maybe they'll check us Yay. out. Hi DCE, you guys. Hello. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they were very nice. But um, after that was over, I was actually waiting for a panel by uh, Richard Cadry, who is. Uh, like a horror writer. He's like a modern horror writer um, in the vein of like urban fantasy and horror. Has he written anything I might've heard of? Uh, He writes the Sandman Slim series. Okay. Which is now I, now that after speaking with him and uh, getting to listen to him, he was actually in a few panels that I went to over the Uh course of the weekend. I'm going to pick up the first book and I'm going to read it. He made me want to read his book. Good. So that was kind of cool. Um, but he also a couple of months ago took over writing for the Lucifer comic. So that is a comic mm -hmm. for like, like the TV show. Yeah. The comic is ahead of the TV show, but they're based like the TV show is based on the comic. Oh. Um, and he recently took over writing for that. I did not know that. That sounds cool. Yeah. He's actually really excited to be writing it because it's. He's a horror writer and he loves to write the supernatural and he, well, his panel was about modern mythology, classic horror and the devil. That was mm. literally like what the panel was about. So okay, yeah, that sounds pretty damn cool. Yeah. Naturally, it came up in conversation. His work on Lucifer kind of just led right there. Um, so does he write for the show too? He does not. No. He purposefully does not watch the show because he doesn't want the writing on the show to influence the writing of the comic. Okay. He wants to stay very true to the legacy of the comic without interf- like any creative interference from the show. That gives me the feels. I like that. Yeah, he's really, really cool. Um, we His whole panel kind of ended up being about different incarnations and literary styles in which like the devil was written. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not love a panel about like Milton and Faust and like, I, I was in heaven. I loved uh, it. It was so yeah. fun. Um, and he was also giving a lot of advice to writers because there were a lot of writers in that pan, like in that room who were asking him questions about how he develops his characters you know, and how he goes about writing this long series because it's quite a few books and he's got more planned. 
Um, so he's giving great writer's advice. And the best piece of advice that I thought that he gave during the panel mm -hmm. was don't get too far into your own head because it will stop you in your tracks. Like sometimes you just have to keep writing, even if you're like, I hate this. This is awful. <laughs> Been there. Because you have to get, get it out and then you can fix it. I like that. So, okay. Yeah. He was like, don't be afraid of yourself because if you're afraid of yourself, you're never going to get anything done. So you need Very to just true. like do it and then figure out how not to make it what you don't like. Right. Which I thought was great advice. And it is. There were a lot of people in there taking notes. So <laughs> I think he had a good effect. Scholarly. On the crowd. Yeah. You know me. I'm, I, I like to go uh, to yeah. the nerdy panels sometimes. Well, then um. going to Comic Con is good. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, but he was very cool. And um, it made me want to read all of his books. But I think I'm cool. going to start with the Sandman Slim series. Okay. It sounds like my jam. Hmm. So I was excited. But that was the first thing that I did okay. when I got there. And then um, for clarification, were you there by yourself? Because I wasn't there. I My husband came and... Uh, we actually went with our friends from Wasteland Exports, Jesse and Eileen. So they had a booth and my husband was working at the booth. Mm -hmm. So I was able to like stop and check in with them. And if one of them got a little break, we went kind of around on the floor and things. But they didn't come with me to any panels okay. or anything like that because they were too busy working and stuff, you know. Um, but I was not there alone, alone. Okay. I okay. was with friends and loved ones. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Okay. And then after you left at the, the devil panel, <laughs> what did you do then? So I decided that, see, it's hard because when you're at a, when you're at a con as a professional, quote unquote, or as press, it's kind of like you have to split your time between like, what am I doing as a fan and what am I doing like as press? Right. So I decided that there was going to be one thing that I was going to do as a fan. And if you follow us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, you saw me freaking out as a fan because I got on the line to get an autograph and take a picture with James Marsters because <sighs> he was there. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Do it. I'm scared shitless right now, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and was it worth it? It was so worth it. It took me like two hours I got on the line around like line. one and I wasn't done until like two thirty. <laughs> so oh. it was quite a time span that I like dedicated to that. But it was the one thing I was going to do as a fan. And it was really nice. All the people in the line were really, really sweet. I made friends because, of course, you know, how do you not make friends? Um but when I, it was a unique experience for me because first off, I love him. He's like one of my favorite actors ever. Yes. So it was surreal having him be that close to me and like really there in real life. Mm -hmm. Like you can actually like hold his hand or like shake his hand. And I was like, this is weird. I was not prepared for that sensation, that emotion to come up. Mm -hmm. But um, his manager was also there, Mark. So it was cool. You walk up to the long table. If you've ever been to a con before, you know the signing tables are like those long folding mm -hmm. tables. You walk up, you pay Mark for the inter for the you know the the autograph and the picture and whatever your little package is that you're mm -hmm. going to purchase. And then you kind of get a chance to like stand there and talk to him. So we were standing there and chatting while you're waiting for like the line to clear out further along. And then James also had his son there, Sullivan, mm -hmm. who I've actually met before um, at a concert for their band, Ghost of the Robot. It's a father son. Yeah. And, and other people as well. Um, but I had actually met him before. So I got to chat with him because he was standing at the table too. So you moved from like Mark to Sullivan and then I went to James. So I kind of got to like work my way up to it, which was really nice. <laughs> yeah. It made me a little more comfortable. Um, but the very first thing that I said to him and I kicking myself, but this is a real moment, you guys. I said, hi, I've loved you since I was 12 and I'm really sorry I'm fangirling right now. Oh, that was the very first thing I said to him. And he was so sweet. He probably gets that all the time. He grabbed my hand across the table and he said, you're welcome. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, OK, now you can talk. Um, and he is the type of person to talk to every person on that line for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I mean, he really likes to give you the full experience. 
which I appreciate. He's chatty, Kathy. He's so chatty. There was a point where Mark, the manager, was like, uh-oh, I think he's telling a really long story right now. Excuse me. And he had to like go over and be like, dude, wrap it up. We got more people on the line. I mean, that's really cool, though, that he's like just as excited to be there as you are. Yeah, he was so excited to be there. And made your experience... Like, like you said, I mean, I understand. I've been in that fangirl, like, oh my God. What do I say to you? I, like, like on How I Met Your Mother, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> so like, true. I can't human right now. <laughs> that was so true. So it's nice that he was aware of that and mm-hmm. wanted to make you feel more comfortable. Yeah, he was super, like, a very gentle soul. You could kind of tell that he's like, doesn't want to freak you out any more than you're already freaked out. Oh, that's good. So he brings this like very calming energy, like, it's cool, it's fine. Just, but then he looks at you and he smiles at you and you're just like, ah, mirror. Puddle on the floor. Yeah, I couldn't talk. And I was, I don't even remember what I said, but I know we talked about acting, voice acting, theater acting, TV movies. He kind of gave me his little treatise on like acting. And I was just like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, keep talking. I don't even (laughs) need to talk right now. So that was really awesome. And then he like, we took our little picture and he shook my hand and he was very sweet. And it was the best. It was worth the wait. Good. Yeah, I waited on the line. The one bad thing was I missed... um, Michael Rooker's panel. Oh. Because I was on the line. Still worth it. So I was a little bit bummed about that because it was totally on my to-do list. But I missed it. Sad face. It was like over by the time I was Mm -hmm. done. I couldn't even sneak into the end. But I heard through the con grapevine, because everybody was talking about it, he didn't make people stand up at the microphone to ask their questions. He went out into the audience and oh. like met them at their seat. He was like, you don't get up. I'll get up. That's that's so, interesting. I've never seen anybody do that before. Yeah, he was apparently he was very funny and kind of cool. He would be. Yeah, he was apparently like really funny um, and just really nice to his fans, which was great to hear, like, you know. Well, yeah, because like in my head, he's Merle mm-hmm. or... Uh, why am I blinking? Yondu. On Yondu. Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could have been here all day trying to remember that. It's all good. I got you. Yeah. I just imagined him to be kind of a jerk. Yeah. He's definitely not. In but that's real, good. In real life. Um, there was a girl sitting, a little girl. She was like 13, maybe 14, sitting next to me at one of the other panels that I went to later in the day. Mm-hmm. And her mom was with her. And we were talking about the Michael Rooker panel because they were in the panel. And her mom goes, tell the lady, because I'm the lady. Yeah. Tell the lady the story about Michael Rooker. And the girl goes, who? And she's like, you remember the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy that we went to see earlier today. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she says, "Okay, so we were in the room and I knew he looked familiar, but I didn't know who he was until the very end when he said, thanks, y'all. And that's when she recognized him as the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, my gosh. Sat through the whole panel. No clue who he was. That's adorable. Didn't know why she was there. But as soon as he said, y'all, she recognized him. Awesome. (laughs) She made me laugh. She was very cute. That's awesome. (laughs) She had, a, hmm. she had a great time. In retrospect, she's like, yeah, it was really cool. No clue who he was for like an hour and 15 minutes. They didn't. They must have had his picture up on the yeah. screen or something. Yeah. I'm sure he talked about the movie that she recognizes Maybe him she from was like too. zoned out. I have no idea. But that was her con story. So. That's rad. <laughs> I'll just be sharing other people's con stories as well since well, I wasn't there for it. Yeah. Um. But I heard that was a really cool panel. And then and then what did you do? So after that, I went back to a panel on villains. It was specifically on creating antagonists. Oh, be still my heart. I know. And Richard Cadry was there again. Of course. <laughs> so I You guys to, were like best friends by now. Like, hey, dude, what's up? And he was like, yeah, I'm here again. Um, but that was a panel of quite a few writers uh, there was Trisha Sterling was in that panel. Janice Davis, who's another author whose book I want to read. Um, Maureen O'Leary was there. And Eric Kieran Davis was included on the panel, okay. among a few others. And they um, were talking about how you understand and create an antagonist for your hero. Because it's kind of hard to write the villain when the villain's not your main character. How do you decide what their motivations are? How do you decide how evil they are 
And if they have any redeeming qualities, that was actually a big point of conversation because, again, lots of writers, fellow writers were in the room. Um, and they asked about, like, do, should they have that redeeming moment? Should they never? Should they be wholly evil? Should they have that, like, glimmer of something, humanity to them? And their answer as a group was pretty much, it depends on what you're trying to write. Or who your audience is, yeah. I think. Because my favorite all-time villain is Dr. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Because you totally understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. And you kind of feel bad for him. But yeah. you also understand why he becomes mm-hmm. the villain. And I really like villains that I can you can kind of understand where they're coming from. Yeah. It's almost like you could see if that happened to you, would you become a villain too? Exactly. I love that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think there's that quote that's like, the villain thinks he's the hero Mm -hmm. of the story. Yep. Which they talked about a lot. Like your villain can't be ridiculously one dimensional just there as like the cardboard cutout for the hero to fight. Cause your story isn't going to go anywhere at that point. Like your hero, your hero and your villain have to have equal story behind them. Otherwise their clash doesn't make any sense. Right. Which was actually really great writing advice. Um, And they also talked a lot about how to back yourself off the darkness when you're writing a villain. Like you get into that headspace and you get uh kind of dark and like sort of, you know, you start to feel the feelings because you're in that space and writing from that point of view. So they talked a lot about like taking breaks and kind of going back and maybe writing a different part of the story or like trying to do things that make you feel better so that you can kind of pull yourself out of that funk that you can get into mm-hmm. when you're writing somebody that's nasty, you know? Yeah. And uh, they actually talked about Game of Thrones quite a bit. And Richard Cadry said something great about it that I totally agree with. He said that he didn't agree with the violence and the villainy in that story because it was gratuitous and it didn't have thank you like it didn't have the emotional punch behind it he was like it was just there to be there for shock yeah it wasn't there because it actually served the story in most cases so he was like if your violence or your you know rape or whatever it is if it serves the story do it and do it right but do it with intention or it's not going to make any sense. Right. And then you're going to fall flat on your face and everybody's going to be like, that was disturbing, but it didn't teach you anything. So he gave some really great writing advice. I wish you were there. He gave, <laughs> Damn it. He gave such good writing advice, um, as did the other people on the panel. But maybe he has a website or videos up online that I could watch yeah. and find out. Or maybe he's got a book that he wrote about writing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, he's Interesting. very cool. I went to try to buy his book at the con and they were totally sold out of book one. Really? Yep. All the bo- all the copies they bought were well, gone. It sounds like from how he was speaking and presenting himself, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a really educated guy. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I didn't really know about him. Like, I didn't really know what he was about. I'd heard his name before, but I didn't really know him. And now I'm like, I want to be a fan. Like, I want to get to know his work because he was really cool. Yeah. So I found a new person to be like interested in something new to read yeah. a whole new world of books Aww. to read Yay. <laughs> so that was cool okay yeah and then what then i did some walking around i did a little shopping you know things like that like you do um and then i went to a really interesting panel it was from the people who do angstynerd.com and they do a podcast called no ordinary nerd mm-hmm. and they it was a whole panel about nerd culture as an escape from like bad things that happened in these people's lives. So all the people, all the podcasters that were on this panel had had difficulties, trials and tribulations in their life. And they came to nerd culture and they found like solace and they found community and they found acceptance in that space. And amongst those types, they were like, I found my people, I found my tribe. I think a lot of nerds feel that way. Yeah. I would say like 99% Mm -hmm. feel that way. Yeah. And that was quite a full room, even though it was at the time of some of the like more fancy sort of high profile things that were going on. Um, It was almost like a group therapy session. It was very. That's nice. Yeah. They all told their stories and they all had really unique and, and really sad stories about like not feeling accepted, not feeling understood, 
some of them were abused as kids and like the the gamut was quite a large uh, range of experience but they all ended up coming to this same place of like and then I found my favorite superhero and they gave me strength or then I found a girl in a book that was just like me and that told me that like if she could do it I could do it too Mm -hmm. and it was just so great to to sit there and to listen to their stories and to listen to where they are now versus where they were and how the type of culture that was all over the con is what saved them that's wonderful it was great. I was so happy that I went. And I looked around and there were lots of like nodding heads and, and they got a big like clap at the end, like a big ovation at the end. And you could tell that it was very personal to everybody that was there. And yet they shared an experience. Getting all emotional. I know. It was so great. I really loved that panel. I think they did an awesome job. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of ducked out of there. A little bit like right at the end, I kind of like beelined out of there because the Buffy panel was right after oh that. Oh my God. Yeah, you can't miss that. So I was like, I got to get in. I got to get a seat. I actually showed up a little bit early and I caught the end of the Kate Beckinsale panel. Oh, neat. Which was really cool. I wasn't expecting it to still be going on, but it went a little over because they got started a little bit late. So um, I got to listen to her kind of talk about the horrible clothes and shoes that she had to wear in like every role she's ever had. She was like, man, they just keep putting me in a corset. Yeah. (laughs) Corset and giant shoes. And she's like, I really don't like it. But here we are. Um, She was talking about that and talking about her kids. And she's I love her accent. Yeah, she's she's cute. Sitting there and listening to her. And she's very funny, which I was not expecting. But she's very sort of self-deprecating, like British humor. Kind of I mean, thing. I guess, yeah, I wouldn't expect that. I expect her to be very serious. Yeah, no, she was really funny. Um, and she was very cool. So it was cool. nice to get to kind of catch the end of that. Um, and then they started the Buffy panel, like, right on time. Everyone was on time. It was lovely. It was wonderful. I was Yay. very happy. Um, I put some pictures of that up as well on our social media accounts. And it was, like, the best 45 minutes ever. <laughs> I bet because it was who who was on the panel. So Nicholas Brendan was there. He's Xander. Um, James Marsters was there. He is Spike. Uh, Charisma Carpenter was there. She was Cordelia, and Emma Caulfield was there as well. And she was Anya. Cute. So it was a good little cross section. Um, you know when you see people that you haven't seen in a long time, and so I had this look of them like this mental picture that they were still back in like two thousand and one. They've all grown a lot from then. I mean, yeah, it's been 16 years. Yeah, it's been a while, but they all still looked the same at the same time. Like, they were different, but they still looked the same. So I thought that was kind of cool to see them, like, joking around and laughing and telling stories about their time on the set. And they still like each other. And you can tell that they still kind of joke around and are friends. And they were talking about how they were a family. That's awesome. When they were there, they talked about the EW photo shoot as well, the Buffy at 20 photo shoot. Um, Some people asked some questions about like how that went down and uh, who was there and how everybody felt kind of reuniting. So that was kind of nice. My probably one of my favorite parts of the panel, not to, uh, you know, give credit to any one person over anyone else. But at the very beginning, James Marsters said that before they even started the panel, he wanted to take a video on his Hmm. phone, like his personal cell phone of everybody in the audience clapping and standing and like whooping and having an awesome time to celebrate the cosplayers that were in the room. That's rad. Because he loves cosplayers. Really? Yeah. He He's like, I love them. He told a story about wearing Spock ears to a Star Trek convention when he was like 12. Oh my God, I love him. Um, so he started out as like a little nerd who wanted to cosplay and like wanted to be that type of person. And that segued for him into acting later in his life. But he was like, I love cosplay. I love what you guys do. Like, I want to celebrate you for a minute. And so he like turned the camera literally on the audience and gave them a moment to shine. Neat. Which I thought was so cool. Gold star for James Marsters. I know. I loved that. And it's the same thing. Adam Savage did the same thing at his panel at uh, Silicon Valley Comic Con before he even started taking questions. He was like, let's all give a hand to the cosplayers because they're special and they're awesome and they work their asses off. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so Yeah, they do. I think we learned that from Courtney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Day. So I appreciate that they appreciate that part of the con population 
Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, so that was a panel. That was awesome. I loved hearing the stories about the filming that happened off camera. So there's like no blooper reel to go along with the story. Um, I actually heard a story that I had never heard before about, again, James, Emma was actually telling the story, but James was trying to give, it was her and I think Allison Hannigan, she said, they were like having a conversation and they were, he was doing the offside where he's behind the camera so that he can give them something to react to, but he's not talking on camera. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to give them like the full acting thing so that they would have stuff to react to. So he was doing this full on choreographed fight off camera and he tripped and fell through a prop wall. Oh, no. Like broke right through the wall, disappeared behind the, <laughs> like, behind the thing. And then he just popped back up and kept going. Well, that's dedication. <laughs> but meanwhile, they had stopped because they were laughing hysterically. Nobody's like concerned. <laughs> Nobody was concerned. He was like, okay. I tripped over something. There's a lot of equipment back there. I don't know what I tripped <laughs> over. But um, yeah, he was that that was their favorite story that like people don't really know because there was no camera pointed at him at the time. So there was no like blooper to show. But Emma said it was like the funniest thing that she had ever seen. <laughs> so that was it was really right fun. on. It was very cool to get to kind of like hear their stories and, and hear about their experiences on set at the time. They talked a lot about Joss, of course. And oh, Joss! <laughs> I think at one point Charisma said that she wished that she could live in his head for a day. Because he's such a genius. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she was like, I just wish that I could like live in his head and like know where it all comes from. And I was like, yeah, me too. That, that would be a trip. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that would totally. Yeah. And they um, talked about Seth Green as well. Oh, they uh, James actually loved hanging out with him at the EW photo shoot. Yeah. Because they hadn't seen each other and they weren't really on the show. Not really. Together very much. Yeah. So he was like, I just love that guy. Like dude, he's so little. And like, I just love him. (laughs) So that was really nice to get to hear them kind of talk about the other people on the show that weren't there. It was cool. Awesome. Awesome. Did you do anything else that day? That was kind of towards the end of my day. Like I was going to do a few other things, but then I was like, you know what? It's already like 530. I went and got a little bit of food and came back because... Right after the con closed at 7-ish, they weren't exactly on time, um, I got in line for the Ghost of the Robot concert. Hell yeah. That was Saturday night. And I was so excited. We didn't know exactly who was going to be there or anything like that, but it Um, turned out. Ghost of the Robot. Yes. But it turned out (laughs) it was just James and his son, just James and Sullivan, and their two guitars. Oh. So it was like an acoustic set the one of them i mean one of them had an electric guitar and the other one had an acoustic guitar but it was just like a duet between the two of them and that was really cool neat i enjoyed it a lot it was a really good show you had some good photos too yeah i tried the lighting was a little bit weird but i tried my best you succeeded um thank you thank you i dragged my husband with me too but he will happily admit they're actually good so they're not just, you know, they're, oh, they're yeah. famous, so we're going to come listen to them, like, try to play the guitar. They're actually really good. Cool. Um, so it was very fun. And it was a little Father's Day-ish because Aww. it was like a father and a son kind of playing together. So to, to get to see how proud he is of his son and how much his son loves being with his dad was really cool. I thought they were just a great little kind of pair to, like, end the night. That's Oh, it gave me a lot of feelings, but it was fine. Get <laughs> you a tissue. It's okay. I'm fine. Um, but that was how I rounded out my Saturday night. Cool. And then um, Sunday. So Sunday. Actual I, Father's Day. Actual Father's Day, yes. And there was a lot of talk about fathers because many of the guests there were grown men with children. So many of them were fathers. There were a bunch of kids around as well because, you know, Sunday, if you're a big con goer, you know, Sunday is like family day. Yeah. Sunday is the day when everybody brings their kids. So there were tons of little kids running around, lots of shopping for dad. It was very cute. (laughs) So I liked that that was kind of happening. Um, The very first thing I did that morning was, well, I went to go and set up my interview times. 
And so I got there really early. And I was like, I'm early. You um, always are. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. And the press person was like, I'm glad you're early. They're not here yet. <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> I beat them to the con because it was like 930 when I rolled up. And they were, he was like, yeah, they come in around 11. Oh, shit. <laughs> you were hella so early. I was like, okay. Um, so I went I did a little shopping because I got to get in early before the doors opened. Got everybody coffee from my little, little so group. Nice. I tried to be nice because they were already inside. And I was like, I'm going to, I got some time to kill. Let me get a line at Starbucks and get you guys some coffee. Um, so I did some of that. And then I actually got to do my interviews. And who did you interview? So uh, the first interview that I did, oh my gosh, I was so nervous, you guys. <laughs> I think, I wonder if you can hear it in my voice because I actually recorded the interview. Um, my lovely husband was with me, so he was my emotional support because I was very nervous. I got to interview Lou Ferrigno. Awesome. The OG Hulk. Yes. He was so cool and he was so tall. Yeah. Can I tell you people how big he is in person? Yeah. In the photo that you showed me, he's gigantor compared to you. He shook my hand and I thought that it was he was going to pull my arm back and it was just going to be like a little nub of wrist. <laughs> like my whole hand was just going to disappear because mm. he was so big and his hands were so big. And But he's such a gentle soul. Like he's such a lovely person mm -hmm. and so kind of soft spoken and like nice. And I was just, wow, I was not expecting you to be so nice and so calm not smashing everything not smashing everything no anger his face smiling it was lovely so i was nervous going in but he was very nice and he made it very easy well good let's hear it hi we're at wizard world sacramento talking to the wonderful lou ferrigno lou how's it going today wonderful good morning how are you and say happy father's day to everyone happy father's day to Thank you, you. Thank you. You're welcome. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your time as the Hulk, if you don't mind. Um, so you were kind of one of the original people that worked on that project. What were your influences going into playing the Hulk? Well, the fact that I love the character from the comic book, that I was the Hulk my whole life. So when I ended up playing the series, I just knew it came natural to me because I was like the pioneer because the Hulk becoming successful that's why I opened a lot of doors today. You see the adventures, you do the Marvel hero. Very cool. That's awesome. So what would you say is your favorite moment from working on the series? Now, then, throughout your whole time as the Hulk. The favorite moment was a famous actor came to my motor home with his nephew named Cary Grant. And he wanted to take a picture. So I realized that how popular the Hulk character was. So that was a favorite moment because it made me feel very uh, appreciated. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I also wanted to ask you a quick question because I know you grew up in Brooklyn and I'm from Queens. What is your favorite thing that you miss about home? Well, I was in Brooklyn last week. The only thing I miss about home, I miss uh, the thick pizza and uh, my mom's cooking. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Have a good one. You too. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. He was so nice. We talked a little bit about New York after the interview was over, after the after the, the recorder was turned off. We had a little uh -huh. backstage talk now, but um, it's cool meeting another native New Yorker who's into that kind of nerd culture I'm, yeah, sort of thing. So that was awesome. Good deal. Yeah. And then who else did you talk to? So next on my list was, it just so happened that Cass Anvar from Assassin's Creed and The Expanse was available, like right as I was finishing with Lou Ferrigno. Cool. He actually came up to us and said, oh, are you waiting for an autograph? And I was like, no, but <laughs> <laughs> love to interview you if you have a couple of minutes. And he he is just such a fan himself. Like you can hear it and you can tell it in the whole conversation. He's a huge fan who's excited to be at a con. And That's that awesome. to me, yeah, that to me was awesome. He was the only one my husband fanned over too. Like as oh soon God. as Finn fanned, <laughs> he did. He did. He doesn't normally get like ruffled when it's a celebrity. He's very calm and cool. He's like, they're just people. It's fine. I'm the one that's like, oh my God, they're just people. But oh my God. Um, but because he's a huge fan of the Expanse and because he's a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed series, he got a little flustered and got a little fangirly. Oh. <laughs> and it was good for me to see because I didn't feel alone. 
in okay. my fangirling. Okay, good. Um, but he was a really awesome guy, and he's just so nice. Like, everybody that I talked to was just so nice. So let's listen to my interview with him. Yes. Hi, we're here with Cass Anvar. You might know him from The Expanse and the Assassin's Creed series. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome. Good time here. That's great. So I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions. Uh, tell me your favorite thing about your time on The Expanse so far. Oh, man. Uh, honestly, I'm a huge, huge geek, gamer, uh, Comic-Con, science fiction nerd myself. So uh, that's what I grew up with. And so imagine taking a kid who spent his entire life watching Star Trek, Star Wars, Battlestar, Babylon, Blade Runner, Alien. That's like that's what I lived and breathed. And then telling him he's going to be a, a fighter pilot in a huge science fiction series that's like a Martian-born uh, East Indian fighter pilot with a Texas accent. So uh, it's kind of like a geek boy's dream. That's awesome. What would you say was your favorite sci-fi series growing up? Growing up? Um, I mean, I loved Star Trek. Uh, like, like, I was addicted to Star Trek. And then I got a little older, a little more mature, and all of a sudden Babylon 5 came out. And that blew my mind. Like Babylon 5, where all of a sudden uh, you have this incredibly complex world with a dark kind of uh, layered story with lots of conspiracy and all that stuff. That all of, a, all of a sudden, like science fiction had an entirely different level. It wasn't just a week-to-week procedural. It was this um, epic kind of space opera, an anthology from, from week to week where you have a story that you're following through. That really, really got me excited. That's awesome. One last question. Uh, when you were prepping for Altair and his role, what were your influences? Uh, the odd thing about the Altair thing is uh, when, I, when you go and audition for these big games, you don't know what game you're going in for. You don't know what. I was auditioning for a game called Sahara with a character called Habib. And I get the, I get the note, oh, by the way, it's actually Assassin's Creed and you're playing Altair. And you start shooting in five days. So not a lot of prep. Get online going, Altair, what the hell? And I start looking it up. I'm going, holy crap, this guy is in a very big character in a very big franchise. And so I, I'm a fan of Prince of Persia, and it kind of had a little influence from that. I mean, Ubisoft is the creator of Prince of Persia as well. So um, I, I, I looked at that a bit, and then I started researching the game a little bit. And I was just so excited to play this character uh, who I don't know if you if you know the game you know there's Altair and there's Ezio those are the two first two assassins and everyone loves Ezio because he's a badass he's like a butt kicker he's a romancer he's a he seduces all the ladies and he's a wisecracker uh, but Altair is the legend Altair is like the man with the vision he's the one who started it all very focused a little bit darker a little bit more somber a little more intense um, whereas you know uh, Ezio's more the Wolverine. Altair is kind of like Xavier. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Isn't he cool? Oh, my God. He's so excited, and it makes me excited. <laughs> At the same time as being really excited, he was super relaxed. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll put up the picture. He was, like, leaning against his autograph table, just, like, very at ease. Super cool, and Sad. I was being the, like, weird wired on too much coffee like <laughs> nervous person and he was just the nicest guy just so cool wonderful yeah so then from there i got i went around to the other side of the uh autographs and celebrity row area and i got to talk to nikki brendan oh so xander was, yeah i have to tell you guys it was like talking to xander there is like no line between Nikki and Xander. It doesn't seem that way. They are like the same person. But it, that actually made it kind of cool. Like yeah. it made it even cooler to me to get to talk to him because he was just as genuine as his character was on the show. And he was just as excited mm -hmm. as his character was on the show. And it was it was really cool. He had a great hat too. I even told Wonderful. him. I told him. I was like, I love the hat. <laughs> so let's listen to that interview. Hi, we're here with Nicholas Brendan, the star of Buffy. He's Xander, if you guys don't remember. How's it going today? Going really well. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, I know you get asked about Buffy all the time, but I'm going to contribute to that and okay. ask you a quick question. What would you say was your favorite moment playing Xander? My favorite moment playing Xander? I mean, there's not one. There are moments. I mean, he just had the best lines. So I think it's probably, it probably was just his sense of humor. 
um, I just understood him really well. And uh, so, yeah, I think it was probably, it, it was, yeah, all the, all his little like one liners. Yeah. That's awesome. What would you say Xander would be doing now? Cause I know he's still around and yeah. he's still doing stuff in the comics, but in your opinion, what would his like grown up life be like? Probably running a brothel. That's really That's funny. It. I had an idea where it's where uh, like downstairs was like broths and soups and stuff. And then upstairs is the brothel. So you get broth and brothel. So it's a brothel. It's a broth brothel. Oh, I like it. That's nice. Yeah, that would be something Xander would do. So what are you up to right now? What's your sort of projects that you're working on right now? A movie coming out called uh, Redwood. And then I've got a movie for the Sci-Fi Channel called The Nanny coming out. And then uh, a movie called Milk and Honey. Cool. So I wanted to ask you one other question about your charity work. I know that you work with um, the with kids that have a stutter and things like that. So tell me a little bit about that program that you're working on. Well, I mean, I just when I was a kid, I had a pretty bad stutter, so uh, they just approached me to ask if 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 they could use my likeness and my story to kind of help other people, and I said absolutely, and it seemed to really kind of work. Yeah, it affected a lot of people. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Very, 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 very welcome. I appreciate it. Have a good day. You know, I couldn't talk to him and not talk to him about his charity work. No. Because I know that's important to us. A very. You know, and so I was like, what kind of questions can I ask people that they don't normally get? Oh, ask about their charity work. So that's kind of where we, how we wrapped up that interview. But it was very cool getting to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like such a. Such a legit press person. You are. Talking to the famous you people. Mm-hmm. I was trying. I was trying really hard not to just be like, oh my God, the whole time. <laughs> I would have just stood there and been like, I, uh, so I think you did amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I tried. I definitely tried. Um, and then the last person that I got to talk to from like Celebrity Row, that whole area, was Kevin Sorbo. Hercules. TV's Hercules. I mean, how cool was that? Also very tall. Yeah. Extremely large person. Well, I mean, when you're a demigod, right? Yes. Probably going to be pretty tall. Yeah, he was very tall. And he looks the same. It was Just so different weird. hair. Just different hair. He looks exactly the same. And that was crazy. So um, before the interview, kind of like before the recorded part, I'm giving you guys all the backstage stuff. Um, <laughs> before the actual interview, he bonded with my husband because they're both Norwegian. So <laughs> that was a thing. Right on. They ended up having a whole conversation about being Norwegian and being from the Midwest. So that was fun. Okay. Um, and then we kind of talked a little bit before the interview. Um, and he, well, later on in the day, I went to a panel with him. So there's a little bit of crossover information there. So I'll just wait until we talk about his panel. But let's listen to his interview. Yeah. We're here with Kevin Sorbo. How's it going today, Kevin? Good. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you a quick question about your time on Hercules. Okay. Um, what was your research like for that role? Um, when I was in seventh, eighth grade, I read all about mythology. So I was prepping for it decades in advance. So um, I think that's that was about all my research I did. I mean, it really came off the scripts. And I remember talking with Sam Raimi, who was one of our exec producers. I said, you know, the, the, the key to this show, in my mind, is to make sure that we make it quirky and fun and have people laugh with us instead of laughing at us because it's the type of show if you took it seriously they would it would have been a bad cheese instead of a good cheese that's great i think you guys definitely made that happen you hit the right tone you know they gave michael Hurst who played the all they gave us a lot of leeway not in terms of changing the script but they if things happen on set to add a line here and there in a scene that it, to make it funnier because that's what we did they, they were all for it. So it was, it was nice they gave us that leeway. But we never really changed what the writers were writing or the, the idea of the script. But they always put good moral messages in most of them. And the fight scenes usually were very entertaining and fun and nobody got killed. Our spinoff show, Xena, of course, she was a lot more angry and killed a lot of guys. So that was a little different story. Yes. We actually had a fan question about your crossover with Xena. Uh, one of our fans wanted to know what it was like working with Lucy Lawless. Well, Lucy did probably about five different characters in the first two years. And the whole idea for the Xena came from one of the other writers. He said, why don't we try a female type Hercules, but not make her a, a god or a half god like Hercules? And so we did a three-show arc at the end of season two to see how fans would react to that. 
And um, actually, we had another actress booked for that role, and she got sick before they could film it, and they panicked, and they'd used Z Lucy a number of times before, and they just kind of went, well, let's put her in there. And that's how that whole thing happened. So pretty lucky to be at the right place at the right time. You know? That's amazing, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Know that story. Oh, yeah. Um, so now if we could switch gears and talk about Captain Hunt sure. from Andromeda. Uh, what was your influence to play him? Like, what kind of research did you do for the role? What went into his character? Well, I'm a big sci-fi fan. I mean, Universal was talking about doing seasons 8, 9, and 10 on Hercules. Because we were kicking butt. We were the number one show in the world. We'd passed Baywatch three years earlier. And um, they offered me an amazing contract. But I got a call from, at the end of, near the end of season 7, I got a call from Major Roddenberry and said, my husband wrote a show back in 1969 after Star Trek finished. And I said, you don't have to finish. I'm in. So they gave me, the, I, it was like a mafia contract. It was too good to say no to it. But I'm a huge Star Trek fan, the original series. So to be part of that legacy, I've done a couple Comic-Con shows with Shatner and Patrick Stewart, and I've sat between them. And I told them both, I said, look at the size of me compared to you guys. My captain can kick both your guys' ass, no problem. <laughs> but for me, it was, uh, it was just, it was a blast to do that show. And it was unfortunate that the Tribune company that owned it win a bankruptcy because with that show continuing like Hercules, we were the number one show and first run syndication. I also got to throw out Stargate, never beat us in the ratings in America. So there. And we would have had at least two more years in that show and it's too bad fans lost out on that. Yeah, that's that's sad. But I love It's out on Blu-ray DVD right now. 110 episodes just came out. So check it out. Very cool. So if people haven't seen it, they totally should. So they should see it. I had one other question for you about your charity work. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about your program for mentoring? I have a number one after school program in the state of California called the World Fit for Kids. And uh, we're in our 20th year. We work over 12,000 inner cities kids in, in LA. LA Unified has a 54% dropout rate. We average a 98% graduation rate and a 67% higher GPA. So I love that since we're right here in Sacramento, uh, Jerry Brown, what am I doing that you guys can't do for public education? Because we're doing a hell of a lot better job than you are. That's awesome. Yeah, you guys they don't are... like the truth. They hate the truth. They hate stats and statistics. It drives them crazy. You guys are doing some amazing work. Some great work. And I don't understand why every school, every school district doesn't do that in the state. You got to get out there. Well, we like to dummy down our kids, don't we? It's sad. It's sad. It's it true. Sad. That's why we homeschool. So I, rep I say homeschool. Get my wife's book. They're your kids. She wrote about homeschooling. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kevin. You. I have a movie coming out in October that I directed and I star in. It's called Let There Be Light, the Christmas movie. So please check it out. And uh, go to kevinsorbo.net. A lot of information on there. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I know it got a little intense there at the end. It did. <laughs> uh, but that's how you know he cares. Yeah, I mean, he's very passionate about his volunteer work and about his mentoring program. And they really oh. are doing a wonderful job. Yes. They're doing wow. a great thing for teens in California. And it's cool because I don't know if you guys know a lot about his mentoring program, but it's peer mentoring. So it's older teens mentoring younger teens and tweens, which is something that he said he has said was very important to when they were developing the mentoring program. They really wanted it to be kids of a similar age to each other so that you really feel like it's somebody that understands you good which that's I important was, yeah i thought that was really cool so you can definitely tell that he's invested he is invested <laughs> yes <laughs> and then what happened so then i got to go to a couple more panels i i got into the uh, edward james almost panel yes which was very cool to me because i love blade runner and I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm sitting right here with like, oh, I was just I, I mean, I know he was on Battlestar Galactica and things like that. But I just kept going, oh, my gosh, it's Gaff. Mm -hmm. Like Gaff is right here in the room. And that was so cool. Um, so he talked a lot about his, the theme of his talk. Ten, it kept coming around to representation mm -hmm. and how he feels that the roles that he's had and the type of parts that he's played especially playing in sci-fi and like playing in futuristic sci-fi it's been very important in his career to be a representative of the community that he comes from and he told this great story about meeting a latino kid a couple years ago and how he said oh my gosh you're proof that we're around in the future Oh, and that like we're important to the future. Oh my God! I and love he was talking that. about Blade Runner. 
Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's great. I was like, wow, like, what a cool. That must I, have been really moving to hear that. It was. I was, I was getting a little misty. I was getting a little teary. Well, yeah. Um, and imagine being him, too. Like, that must be, like, so much validation mm-hmm. for your work. Yeah. He takes his work very seriously, and he takes his responsibility to be that voice and be that person. He takes it very seriously, and he puts it into consideration every single time he thinks about accepting a role. He really thinks about it that way. Like, not only what is this going to do for my career, but what is this going to do for the communities that Mm -hmm. I represent and that I'm important to? So having that, like, social consciousness alongside of his amazing acting talent and his awesome pedigree and, like, his history was just so cool to be in the same room as him. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Wow. Oh, man. It was so cool. Um, and of course, he's done a ton of other things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He talked about Dexter. I was going to say he was on Dexter. Yeah. yeah and he he actually um, talked about uh, Michael. What's his last name? C. Hall. Michael C. Hall. And how he couldn't believe that Michael C. Hall was able to like fake murder so many people like week after week after week. He was like, I got to give it to that guy. He's always covered in blood. And like, I love Dexter. And he was so good <laughs> on that show as the kind of not really villain yeah and i think he really jives on that sort of complex character Mm -hmm. that can't really be pinned down i think that's really the parts that he loves to play awesome well he yeah he does great at it yeah and he's actually going to be in blade runner 2049 really yes gaff is coming back i don't know if he's playing gaff still or not but that is he's got an upcoming role Cool. He couldn't really talk a whole lot about it. They never can. It's still kind of under wraps, but he's going to be in it. I'm excited. And I'm going to see it. Yeah. And I was really excited. Um, So then I popped over from there. I went to Kevin Sorbo's panel Mm -hmm. um, where he kind of ended up telling like some of the same stories that he had given in the interview because Mm -hmm. people were Mm -hmm. asking him a lot of the same types of questions. Um. But one of the cool things that I really enjoyed listening to him talk about was his relationship with the Raimis mm-hmm. because like who doesn't love them, right? Right. Everybody loves them. So getting to hear his like backstage experience in working with them and, and kind of how their relationship developed and then Lucy Lawless was brought into the fold as you guys heard in the interview uh, later on. But they all became kind of a family because they were all living in New Zealand filming both Xena and Hercules at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it was like the same crew. So sometimes they would go and like swap be like half, you'd see half the crew for one day and then they'd go work on Xena and then he would get the like afternoon crew. Yeah. Um, So that was kind of cool because you don't really always think about that sort of logistics of how the, how it was actually filmed and how they had to move there for like a year to film the shows. Mm-hmm. And he even talked about how um, Peter Jackson was doing research for the Hobbit movies and like the Lord of the Rings at the time in New Zealand. And he came and visited the set Neat. of Hercules and Xena. And Crossover. Was like, yeah. And he was like, I love this kind of mythical like storytelling on like location. That's what he wanted to do for Lord of the Rings. So he was he was like sucking up the inspiration just from being there and seeing everybody in like the period costumes and the horses and mm-hmm. the armor and all of that. He's like, this is what I want to do. So that was kind of cool. I just like imagine that you're living in New Zealand and you're going to Starbucks and there's a hobbit and <laughs> a Greek warrior in mm-hmm. line i'm sure that that doesn't actually happen <laughs> but i feel like they film so many of those types of things down yeah. there that it would just be you know there's like, oh, some guy Tuesday. on a horse going down the road dressed as a wizard and you're like all right yeah going to the job at the bank <laughs> it's tuesday guys yeah it's whatever yeah it's filming season i know i kind of felt that way growing up in new york city really yeah like you'd be surprised how many things film on location like on the street and they just close the whole street down. My friend from Chicago says that yeah. happens a lot. Yeah. And it's more annoying than anything else after a while because you're like, damn it, I was trying to go down this street and I can't because it's covered in camera equipment and extras and, oh, look, trailers. And you're just kind of like, man, now I got to go around. Hmm. I'm not going to be able to park here for like a week. You know, so it's I, I hope it's a little less invasive in New Hopefully. Zealand because there's a lot more 
space. Yeah. <laughs> You're not trying to film like in the city where everybody lives. But I definitely, I've had that experience, that type of experience. Hmm. And it's interesting. <laughs> All right. So what else did you do? The last panel that I went to was actually really cool. It was by, uh, she is a therapist, a clinical psychologist and a therapist. Her name is Dr. Janina Scarlett. And she and another, um, he was a former Marine who is now a military therapist. His mm -hmm. name is Travis Adams. Mm -hmm. They held a panel all about the psychology of Harry Potter. What? I know. Oh, it was really cool. Rad, dude. It was really cool. And uh, Dr. Scarlett actually had a really interesting story that I'm going to relate really quickly because I was blown away by her story. Okay. Her life was so interesting. She grew up basically in Chernobyl Ooh. and was exposed to radiation while she was living there. I know, yeah. right? Wow. And so she moved to the U.S. when she was like 15. And she that's when she discovered Harry Potter because none of the kids in her school wanted to talk to her or wanted to like be Aww. around her because they were afraid that she was radioactive. So that's she, so sad. I know, I know. And she said that it's kind of like how Harry must have felt. So that actually became a solace for her was like, wow. I know, discovering the Harry Potter series. And she calls it like coming out from the closet under the stairs. Like she, <laughs> she's now able to tell her story and to like find connections for her patients in the characters from the Harry Potter universe. And so she told a story about like, how she likens phobias to dementors. And she was like, how do we face, oh, yeah. like, how do you face a dementor? You turn it into something ridiculous. Uh, okay. <laughs> so she, she was like, you know, I had a, a patient who was terrified of driving. So I took her driving and we sang songs and we like, you know, did funny voices and like all that kind of stuff. And we turned it into like a less stressful experience because we took her mind off of the I fact. need to go see her about my wasp phobia because <laughs> I can't I can't make that funny. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, she's really good. I mean, just listening to the stories that she told and the connections that she found between like the scenarios and the characters mm -hmm. and the metaphors in the book to her work with her patients was amazing. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So I thought she did some wonderful work and uh, she actually uses Harry Potter in her therapy all the time. And she's writing, she wrote a couple of books. Um, her, one of her books is superhero therapy where uh, she kind of like does the same mm -hmm. sort of thing, but with like different superheroes and she's working on a book of Harry Potter therapy. That's cool. And uh, her plan is to sell it in print and donate all of the money to children's charities. I know. Woman after my own heart. I know. She also wants to make an ebook version of it that's free so that no matter where you live in the world and no matter how much money you have, you can get the book and use it to help yourself. So it's like a self-help Harry Potter book. And yeah. Okay. That's awesome. That is. Yeah. She was so cool. Just getting ah. to kind of like be there in the room while everyone whole room full of Harry Potter fans. Hell yeah. Talking about Harry Potter and psychology. I was in heaven. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the last panel you went to? That was the last panel that I went to. That took me to about three o'clock. Um, I went back over to visit. I'm going to tell an embarrassing story about Jesse now. Okay. Um, Good. Because I know you want to hear this. I do. So I went back over to the Wasteland Exports booth and I told, we had told Jesse that um, James Marsters was a huge Fallout fan. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I got to go give him a gift from the booth and well, he was like yeah. you gotta come with me okay <laughs> so I was like okay um, so we went back over and we waited in the line and we were the very last people to talk to James and Sullivan before they left the con oh, like wow. they were getting on a plane to like leave uh -huh. and we um, went up and, and Jesse doesn't really know who he is didn't really watch Shame. Buffy so he didn't have like the as much fangirliness as I did mm. but um Gave it to him, and he was like, man, this is really cool. He was like, you know, if you know anything about Fallout, you know that uh, the Nuka-Cola was what we gave him, like a Nuka-Cola replica prop. 
it like restores your health. So he made a joke about like feeling restored after he drinks it. And we both yelled at him. I mean, like yelled, don't drink it. <laughs> you can't drink it. So uh, Jesse was embarrassed himself just a little bit in front of the celebrity. And so did I. Good. Um, <laughs> Not well, I mean, that Jesse did. Yeah. It was fine. It's a funny story because he kind of like backed up and was like, whoa, I was just kidding. I'm not really going to drink it. <laughs> but uh, that was kind of cool. And then after that, I, I popped over to visit our local friend. Yeah. Wind of the Stars. She's a cosplayer um, and she's from right here in northern Nevada. Woo. So it was really cool to get a chance to chat with her a little bit. She was very busy. Sunday was like her huge panel day. So she was really busy. But I caught her and I got to talk to her for a couple minutes. We did a little interview. You guys can listen to it. We're here with Wind of the Stars cosplayer. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions, starting from the very beginning. Um, what was your first cosplay that you can remember doing? Uh, my first cosplay was actually Cassandra from Soul Calibur 2. That was the first one that I did that I knew what cosplay was. Um, like most people, I dress up as like Sailor Moon and stuff for Halloween before I knew cosplays. So, but that was the first one. Nice. What would you say your favorite character is and why? Um, that's tough because it always changes because every time I play like a new game or watch a new movie, I all of a sudden have a new favorite character. Um, but I really love Lilith from Borderlands and then Sailor Moon holds a really special place for me. So Sailor Moon's always been like one of my favorite characters of all time. So That's awesome. So uh, you've been here all weekend and you've been kind of doing stuff. What's the coolest thing that you've seen here this weekend so far? Um, so I saw two things that I thought were really cool. So I saw this lady that was Daenerys and had wiener dogs that were dressed up as her dragons. And I've always wanted to do that because I have chihuahuas at home. And so my, my fiance and I joked that I'm the mother of chihuahuas. So when I saw that and I was just kind of like, oh my God, that's so cool. And they were so cute. And then I saw a giant fidget spinner which was really hilarious and, and actually spun. So like, I don't know, it was just kind of like, are you serious right now type of things? But yeah, Mother of Doggos was the best. That's adorable. I actually saw the fidget spinner guy too. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see him like spin the, the thing around? He was doing it for people to take video on their phone. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Well, do you have anything that you would say as like your main piece of advice to cosplayers that are just getting into the art? Yeah. Um, most important thing of cosplay is to have fun. Um, you want to get into it. Don't have like some crazy objective of being like the best or doing anything like that. Go in, have fun, meet some people, enjoy yourself and just really absorb everything there is about actually wearing a costume and enjoying the process. So that's awesome. Good advice. Good advice. Uh, so give us your little plug. Where can people find you online? Sure. Um, I go by Wind of the Stars pretty much across all social media. So on Facebook and Instagram, on Twitter, the main handle is just Wind of the Stars. Yep. Thank you so much for talking with me. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so she's really nice, and I hope I get to meet her and talk with her some more because she's local to our area. Yeah. We'll she was so hang. cool. Yeah, we'll have to hang. She was really cool. Um and that pretty much brought me to like the end of the con. I helped clean and pack up the booth. So I got to stay after. I did a little more shopping. Brought you some swag. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. How am I going to go shopping and not buy you I stuff? Just, I know, but it was so thoughtful. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. I do. She got me a Jedi pillow, <laughs> which is awesome because I have a Guardians of the Galaxy blanket. And then I got like, a Jedi pillow. Slowly, my reading chair will be very intergalactic. Yes. It's very space themed. I thought and it would go well. you got me a Niffler magnet. I did. Which is so fucking cute. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I got myself uh, a toothless magnet, a little cartoon toothless. And I got my husband a Spock that says, that's illogical. Because <laughs> I couldn't help it. I had to shop. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much my weekend. It was, it was pretty busy. It was chock full. Sounds like you had a jam-packed awesome time. And I'm happy. That's great. It was really cool. Getting to do like real celebrity interviews. Yeah, man. That is legit. Yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, I feel so legit right now. So that was pretty cool. Good, good. 
what are we going to talk about next week? So next week we are going to be, I am committing myself. Yes, you all you can hold me accountable. I will. I will finish the first white trash zombie book. And that is what we're going to review next week. I am hella stoked. I found that <laughs> book randomly and I was like, nah, I want something kind of light and it's so damn good. I'm so excited. It's obviously not anything in depth and, <laughs> you know, there's no hidden messages. It's not going to be the profound literature of your life. <laughs> it's not Shakespeare, but it is entertaining and I love the main character. Yes. So I'm really glad that you're going to read that. And if you guys want to read that book ahead of time, it is White Trash Zombie by Diana Rowland. Yes. And we're going to talk about it. It's the first in a five book series. And I think the the next one is coming out in September. Nice. So I've got time to catch yeah, up. Yeah. Cool. Do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be in Vegas this week. So if you're in Vegas, Don't tweet melt. us. Don't melt. Um, I know. I'm going to try not to melt or catch on fire. Um, but... That is what I plan to do with my pool time. I'm going to read carefully because I'm not going to drop it I in the pool, I promise. I was just going to say, you are borrowing my book. <laughs> it's Jill's Let book. Let this recording show that <laughs> if you damage my book by the pool. I will not. I will I be very will. careful. Okay. <laughs> I'll keep the strawberry daiquiri to a minimum, okay. I promise. Okay. Um, but that's what I'm going to be doing. I will finish that book and we will review it next week. Wonderful. Until then. Bye. Bye.